Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. I'm going to open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for each person that's here this morning, Lord. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful for all the faithful servants you've blessed us with. We're thankful for all the people that set up the lights outside, for the people that decorated the church inside for this Christmas, Lord, to point people to you. Thankful for all the volunteers that we have that are going to serve in the um, live nativity this Saturday. We just pray, Lord, that you would give them the strength and the ability to serve you. And we're just thankful, Lord, for the fact that we can use this time of year, Lord, for what the real purpose is, and that's to point people to who you are and what you've done. So we're thankful for that. We pray now this morning as we learn uh, more from your word, as we see uh, the believers go out and even though there was pressure and persecution against them, Lord, that they still uh, were faithful to preaching your word. And we're just thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you remember last week, we left off with Stephen. He was the first Christian martyr. And there was a man there that we didn't deal with last week. It was just one line. There was a man there, and his name was Saul. And it says this. It says, um, it starts off in chapter 8. I know it will work for me today, right? <laughs> there we go. And Saul approved of his execution. So, so Stephen died. He was the first Christian martyr. He died for his faith because he would not stop preaching. So today what we're going to do is we're going to learn how the gospel spread from this point because of Stephen's death. Now, I want to define the gospel, because sometimes, you know, you go to church and you hear the gospel, the gospel. They read from the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Well, the gospel message is simply this, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God and could save mankind to all who believe. So basically, the gospel message is about us, right? We're sinners, about God, what he's done to provide salvation, and then about us again, because we have to respond. We have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. So when you hear gospel, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that basically, they're telling the account of what Jesus has done. So now we're in Acts, and we're going to continue to study in Acts, and basically today, after Stephen's death as a martyr for preaching the gospel, what's going to happen is there's going to be great persecution against the church. So that's where we pick up in, verse, uh, in the rest of verses 1 and 2 and 3, and hopefully they'll come up. There we go. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I'm not getting anything on this, so you're going to have to, we'll have to charge that in between services. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this man, Saul, he was a high-ranking religious Jew. He thought he was doing the work of the Lord by protecting God's chosen people from an uprising of what he thought was a false god. And in a few weeks in chapter 9, we're going to actually find out how God deals with Saul. So under Saul, though, 
under Saul, the believers in Jesus were being beaten, they were being put into prison, and they were being killed. We call this persecution, if you can flip to the next uh, slide. Um, last week, I pretty much posed a question. If you were to die for something, would you want it to be worth it? If you were to die for something, would you want it to be worth it? See, one of the things about persecution is it forces people to either deny or solidify what they believe. You get that? It forces people to either deny or solidify what they believe. Think about this for a minute. If the authority said, okay, it's illegal to worship Jesus. If we find out you have a Bible, or if you are teaching others about Jesus or worshiping Jesus like you're doing right now, you will be arrested, you will be thrown in jail, you will be put on trial, and you could possibly be executed for that faith that you have. Would you start to think, do I really believe this? Wait, would, you start, would, that, would that kind of get you thinking? Okay, is this really worth it? Is this really true? And now there are always going to be some that under persecution say, eh, I don't think this is really for me. I really don't think this is for me. But I believe the rest of us, and I hope, Lord willing, the rest of us would say, this is true. No matter what happens, I'm standing up for truth. So in this case, and in many cases historically, for those that are committed to their faith, persecution actually solidifies their faith. It actually solidifies the faith of people under persecution, and the believers, the people under persecution, actually grow in their faith, and historically we've seen this. The church actually grows as a result. But in this case, not only did the church grow, and we're going to see that, but persecution first left to dispersion, which is going to be our next point. So the, the, the persecution led, led to dispersion. If you could put the next verse up there. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And now, so what happens is this. The, the Christians were persecuted. So they were scattered out. They kind of had to flee. Like they kind of had to go to different regions. And now we're going to see right here, the dispersion actually leads to our next point, And that is fulfilling the mission. Fulfilling the mission. Now, this is an important transition in the book of Acts, because if you remember, Jesus commissioned the believers in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus said this. He commissioned them. So the first seven chapters that we already studied of Acts we're actually focused on Jerusalem. We're actually focused on the message, the gospel message being preached in Jerusalem. So now, starting in Acts chapter 8, the gospel is on the move. The gospel is on the move in Judea and Samaria. Now, the early believers were primarily Jewish believers. Remember, they were Hebraic Jews or Hellenistic Jews. We went over some of this. And the Hellenistic Jews were Greek Jews. They were happy and they were comfortable in Jerusalem. They were happy and they were comfortable in Jerusalem. But guess what? They may have never left their homes to bring the gospels to, to, to bring the gospel to others, but because of the persecution that was waged against them, here's what happened. It forced them out of their comfort zone. 
It forced them to new areas. It forced them to Judea and Samaria to bring the, gospels, the gospel to others. So sometimes this happens to us, doesn't it? Something uncomfortable or bad happens in our lives, and it forces us to look at life differently. It makes us realize maybe that we can help others that are going through similar situations, and maybe we can share the hope that we have in Jesus. Do you know a recent example of this in our church is the grief share ministry? Some of you might know about grief share, others of you might not know, but it's a ministry that helps people grieving the loss of a loved one. Now, this past Sunday, they hosted a Surviving the Holiday Seminar. It was like a one-time seminar to help people because these are tough times, right? Like, the holidays are tough if you lost somebody because you remember, like, the one you love used to sit here, the one you love we used to go to their house or whatever it might be. So they started this seminar, or they, had, they hosted this seminar, and I was sitting in, the, sitting in the back of the room listening to the women that run the ministry. And I couldn't help but think to myself as I was sitting there, none of these women on their own would have chosen to do this ministry. None of these women on their own would have chosen to do this ministry, but because of losing someone that they loved and the grief that they felt and the hope that they found in Jesus, they felt compelled to minister to others. They felt compelled to minister to others. Something uncomfortable happened to them and the right response resulted in a vibrant ministry that's been helping others and pointing them to Jesus for over four years. So when something bad or uncomfortable comes our way, we can either let it crush us, or we can use the situation to bring glory to God. I don't know what you're going through right now, but if you're going through something difficult, you could either let it crush you, or you can use the situation to have it bring glory to God. So here's what happens when the believers were scattered. Put up the next verse, Josh. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Next verse. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many whom had, who, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. So Philip was one of the seven men chosen to take care of the Hellenist widows. Remember that in chapter 6. He went and proclaimed the gospel. Again, a special apostolic time. He was causing evil spirits to flee. He was healing people. We dealt with those issues in the past chapters. But the response in the city was what? It was joy. People were like, this guy is coming and he's doing good. Now Philip, being a persecuted Christian, was pushed out of his comfort zone, his home. He was pushed out of his comfort zone and the result was joy for other people. Think about that. The result was joy. Philip probably wasn't too happy about being persecuted. He wasn't like, this is awesome. He was pushed out of his home, and he went, and he told others about Jesus. The result is joy. But like any of us today, when you start to talk to people about Jesus, they're spiritual issues, aren't there? Has anybody ever gotten a conversation with somebody about Jesus? 
Sometimes it gets awkward. Sometimes it gets difficult. Sometimes you're a little self-conscious. Do I know enough? But other issues, spiritual issues, come up. So here's what happens with Philip. He encounters somebody in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Next verse. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now, this man, Simon, it's up for debate, the, de the, the depth of what this guy was doing. Was it demonic and spiritual? Like, was it at that level? Or was it more like a sleight of hand? Like, pick a card, any card. Like, I got a hat, let me pull a rabbit out. Was it that type of magic? I tend to think it was the latter. I tend to think it was kind of like the sleight of hand. And the reason why, we'll get to in this passage later. In Acts 13, we're going to deal more with the spiritual, occult, demonic influence type magic or sorcery like that. But I want to take a few moments, though, to warn you as believers. Do not, do not, do not get involved in things like psychics, tarot cards, Ouija boards, anything new agey like that. My perspective from the scriptures, and I think your perspective should, from the scriptures should be, when you kind of open up the door, okay, it's hard to get it shut, okay, because there are spiritual forces that are going on. So all those types of things, the psychics, tarot cards, all those types of things, you know, and I know in moments and in, in moments of desperation, you know, some people will be like, like, I lost a loved one and I want to talk to them again. And my friend told me there's this person that can do that. I remember when my dad passed away in 2017. So we were cleaning out his house and next door to his house was his neighbor. And um, the, the night before, I was going one day to clean out the house, right? And I had this crazy dream, because my dad had a lot of junk, right? So um, I had this crazy dream that I walked into the house, and my dad was sitting in his chair like he normally did. And he goes, what are you doing with all my stuff? This was like, it was like a dream like this, like, like we were here. And I was like, dad, your stuff's junk. You know, like <laughs> in the dream, I even said that. So, you know, I had a bad night's sleep. I went to the house, and my dad's neighbor was out there. And I was like, hey, Bob, how's it going? And, and uh, he's like, good. He's like, you don't look too good, Mike. What's up? And I was like, oh, man, I just had this crazy dream. And you know, after you're, you lose somebody, you, you know, you kind of spill your guts sometimes. When, and I was just like, yeah, I had this crazy dream. And I told him all about the dream. And he was like, oh, your dad's trying to talk to you. And he goes, my wife's a psychic. She talks to the dead all the time. I was like, we're selling the house. I was like, we're out of here. So I was like, I'm getting away from this. But the thing is, sometimes in moments of desperation, people are like, I want to speak to them again. I want to talk to them. The Old Testament deals with stuff like that. So here's the thing. I realize these things are intriguing. In moments of desperation, people want this stuff. But stay away from it. Okay, It's not of God. It's not of God. So let's see what happens. We have a group of people that were impressed with the magic of Simon. And Philip now comes on the scene. And he has amazing signs, but they're actually from God because he's actually doing the work of God. And here's what happens. Verse 12. 
But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So these people and Simon all believed and were baptized. Remember, we talked about baptism being an outward symbol of what we inwardly believe about Jesus. So this is a big step for these people. Okay, so they were in Samaria. A lot of them were Samaritans. And Philip, this magician, kind of, you know, tricking people around. They all said, yeah, we believe in Jesus. So then they get baptized. So let's look at the next verse. It says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Next verse. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So now there's this big question. There's this big question. Hopefully you're asking this big question when you read this. Why the delay for those to receive the Holy Spirit? Anybody have that question? Or am I the only one when I read this? I'm like, this doesn't seem consistent with everything else I know from the scriptures, right? So I thought when a person believed in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit right away. How should we understand this? And how do we explain this? Well, since we do not see this practice of laying on hands to receive the Holy Spirit as the norm in the rest of the New Testament, the most logical explanation is this is the first occasion in which the gospel was preached outside of Jerusalem and in Samaria. You get that? So this is the first occasion where we see that. So they called Peter and John and said, hey, Peter and John, you guys got to come and see this. So this preaching was to the Samaritans, and there was centuries, literally centuries of trouble between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. They were half-breds. They were Assyrian and Jews mixed half-breds. So we can take this almost as validation of the issue that Jews and Gentiles now can be saved. So these early believers were like, okay, Jews and Gentiles can be saved? So Peter and John came to validate that this was, the, this was, in fact, the case. People outside of Jerusalem, even more surprising, Samaritans trusted in Jesus, and they, at that time, validated that these were, in fact, believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the next verse. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the main reason why I believe that Simon was a pick a card, any card type of magician, right? He was like, hmm, I can make some money here, okay? Like, this would be pretty cool. Like, people will be pretty amazed. So this guy was going around before doing all these tricks. People were like, wow, this guy's amazing. Now Peter and John come, and this Holy Spirit thing's happen, and he says, I want to do this. How can I use this to get attention, get notoriety, possibly make money off this? See, if people were amazed by my little sleight of hands type tricks, could you imagine? This is a pretty amazing gig. Now, I don't know if you realize this, 
because I know I didn't, okay? But this is where we get the term simony, okay? It's, it's the definition. It's in the dictionary. You can look it up. It's the buying or selling of ecclesiastical uh, privileges. So basically, more commonly, we know this as religious corruption, okay? So this is where we get this term from. Pay me, and I will make you tight with God, okay? Pay me, and I will make you tight with God, basically. This is what Simon, you know, now his name is synonymous with this. So let's see how Peter responds. Next verse. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Next verse. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Peter, bold in confrontation here. Don't think that you could buy or sell the grace of God with money. God doesn't need your money. He's not short of cash, okay? This is not about money. Your heart, Simon, is in the wrong place. You're looking at your new faith as a means of gain and notoriety and money like you used to when you did your little sleight of hand magic tricks. You need to repent. You need to change your mind because that's what repentance means. You need to change your mind. You need to pray for forgiveness and a change of heart where this mindset of sin is going to poison your life, the gall of bitterness. This mindset is going to poison your life. Now, some have suggested, based on Peter's response to Simon, he had a false profession of faith, and that's why he made this initial request. They would say, he's not a believer. That's what they would say. I'm not so sure I would go that far, and here's why. Let me ask you a question. Since you have been a believer, have you ever found yourself in a situation that your heart was in the wrong place? Since you've been a believer, have you ever found yourself in a situation, my heart's in the wrong place? Be honest, right? We probably all have. We probably all have. And if our heart is in the wrong place, let's ask ourselves this question. How did it get there? Okay, if our heart's in the wrong, in our, in the wrong place, how did it actually get there? Now, in Simon's case, it was the allure of what the old life offered. It was the allure of what the old life offered. This text tells us people were amazed by him. People were amazed by him. Have you ever had people amazed by you? Have you? Eh, you guys are duds, okay? <laughs> Here's the thing. If somebody says something nice or pats you on the back, does it feel good? Okay, you do something kind, you do something nice, and people are like, good job, you're such a good person. And you're like, I am a good person, right? <laughs> Could you imagine how he's going through life, he's doing all these tricks, they're like, there's a magician, like everybody's like, yeah, the magician's here. He's doing, so the allure of that old life, like that, you know, oh man, I got notoriety. So maybe Simon liked that and wanted more and figured he can get the attention even with his newfound faith. What about you? What sinful thing in your old life before you trusted in Jesus is tempting you to go back to? 
What sinful thing in your old life before you trusted in Jesus is kind of calling you back? Come on. We had so much fun. This was awesome. Come on, maybe it's people. Maybe it's some people you hung out with. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's something that's just saying, come on, right? And maybe your heart is in the wrong place because you're neglecting to pray about the sins that you struggled with or struggle with. You just start to accept those sins in your life and believe that nothing is going to change. So you live as if this is who you are and you don't really care anymore and you kind of stop praying for change. Maybe your heart's in the wrong place because you're ignorant to the wrong you're doing. Maybe you just don't know. That could have been Simon's case. Simon's just like, okay, that's what I did. And, you know, I see these guys doing this and I want some of that. And maybe he was just ignorant. So he needed to be taught. You don't know enough about God's standards because you don't spend time in his word. That's why we always talk about your time in his word. Remember last week we talked about this? Your heart is in the wrong place and you might not even know it. If you ever talk to somebody that, you know, you tell them, well, the God calls that a sin. They're like, wait, what? That's a sin? Are you kidding? Maybe your heart's in the wrong place because you're influenced by the people around you. Maybe it's, it, it's non-believers and their influence around you, uh, uh, on you. Or maybe it's fellow believers whose hearts are also in the wrong place, which could actually be more dangerous, right? Because, okay, all my believing friends are doing this, so yeah, of course, like, this is fine. Maybe your heart's in the wrong place because you're unfulfilled or unhappy or discouraged. The bottom line is sometimes, as a believer, we need a heart adjustment, don't we? We need that adjustment. And I think Simon probably was a believer because listen to what he said in Peter's response, the next verse. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So he's saying, I, I need prayer. I mean, granted, his prayer was like, okay, I'm afraid of what Peter said. But he's saying, pray for me. He's admitting, if what you said is true, if what you said is a possibility in my life, please pray for me. Don't ever be too proud that you're not willing to ask others to pray for you. Don't ever fall into that trap. It's an easy trap to fall into, okay? I pray for other people. I don't need them to pray for me. I pray for them, right? Some of us fall into that trap. Don't ever be too proud to just say, you know what? I need prayer. You know, my heart needs adjustments. Don't compare yourself to other people like, oh, my heart doesn't need adjustments because I'm not as bad as that person or I'm not as bad as that person. No, your heart always needs adjustments. Okay, whatever's going on in your heart that's not right, you need adjustments. Now, this section closes off with Peter and John returning to Jerusalem and preaching the gospel on their way. Next verse. It says, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Because of the persecution, because of the dispersion, guess what? The mission of Jesus, the mission that Jesus called the believers to was being fulfilled. That's our mission. As we continue to go, right? We tell others about Jesus.